Section three of the Rover, Volume One, Number Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The Rover, Volume One, Number Three. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section three. The Banknote, or Woman's Love and man's repentance it was midnight disease and health virtue and crime famine and the epicure were now gone hand in hand together and for a few short hours thoughts and imaginations as varied as their names were sunk in sleep while the wildest of fashion's children the creatures of dissipation and hereditary folly with the panderers to unhallowed and unlawful passions, and all the other numerous forms of destitution and depravity that, phantom-like, haunt the midnight air of London, were busy deepening the gulf into which poor humanity had already fallen. From one of the largest houses in Blank Square, upon the evening just described, sounds of music, mirth, and revelry, were plainly distinguished, and despite the lateness of the hour or its disagreeableness, numerous carriages with their attendants were waiting around its portals, while a little old man, called by a singular contrariety the link-boy, who for several hours had, in company with his pitchy compilation, been alternately dashing himself into the road and beneath the horse's girths, under the idea that he was lighting the company was now amusing the lackeys with some eccentric reminiscence of his equally eccentric life lady herndon was the name of the proprietress of the establishment to which we have introduced the reader and despite the coldness of the season and the various essences with which the place was perfumed the vast suite of apartments were crowded to an extent that rendered a position near the window far from disagreeable half withdrawing the curtains and gazing upon the cheerless scene without a young and fashionably dressed man remarked to another who was standing near him that the last gallop had completely disabled him and the cold night air was quite refreshing i could not feel the heat of these apartments sir henry was the reply for i have been too busy gazing elsewhere and where may that have been inquired his companion carelessly an object that could rivet the attention of one so discriminating as vivian delorme must indeed be worthy of another's observation you flatter sir henry replied the other but i was thinking matilda saville will be a very pretty woman as the young man spoke he pointed out to his companion among the group of beauties one who from her dress and general contour pre-eminently shone will be a pretty woman exclaimed the young baronet with considerable animation in his manner by heaven she is one already who is she what is she and where does she come from she is the daughter of a half-pay officer and comes from the region of the shuttle and the loom manchester indeed said sir henry 
well i imagined she must be a stranger as i had not seen her before but really this is quite romantic let me see poor and pretty a stranger and the daughter of a half-pay officer the last the very ne plus ultra of a romancist add to this interrupted delorme that she is seen by a young baronet who loves her to distraction upon first meeting her in a ballroom the words were uttered in a half laughing tone but they were not responded to by his companion and he continued but we are wrong she is not quite so poor as she is beautiful having great expectations from her aunt that magnificent-looking woman yonder who is almost as tall as yourself that exclaimed sir henry that why surely that is lady featherfield the widow of a distant relation of mine true her husband was an irish peer and was killed at a steeplechase did you know him i but slightly recollect him for i was but a child when he met his death but i will accost his grand-looking relict and make her introduce me to her lovely niece as he uttered these words sir henry cathcart for such was the name of the last speaker stepped gracefully forward to a chair where reclined the person of a lady apparently about fifty adorned in a style of profuse magnificence harmonizing with her portly and massive figure the dialogue which we have just been narrating took place between two individuals as opposite in their characters as they were in personal appearance vivian delorme was a young man of french extraction about twenty-two years of age with a cast of countenance decidedly foreign joined to a person of diminutive stature he had for a considerable period been the most intimate friend of sir henry and although a man of a very confined intellect yet nevertheless was endured with that spurious sort of understanding denominated cunning which is frequently found to be more use in an abstract sense to the possessor than those stores of original ability and erudition that are so rarely to be encountered in this everyday world sir henry cathcart was his junior having just attained his majority and by the death of both his parents at a much earlier age was now the sole inheritor of a handsome fortune and estate his figure offered a strange contrast to that of his companion being tall majestic and commanding while his character was frank open and generous in short he was what the world would term a fine-looking young man possessing all the appearance of an aristocratic descent possessing all that absence of hauteur so peculiarly the attribute of the true gentleman lady featherfield the lady to whom he was now advancing must certainly have once been beautiful if beauty is ever consonant with a style of face which presents us features upon which we can dwell with pleasure but no expression upon which the imagination can hang with rapture resembling in a remarkable degree some splendid structure wherein fashion is wont to dwell 
and which we acknowledge to be well formed and accurately designed but notwithstanding all its ornamental pillars and decorative balconies insufficient to attract more than a mere passing and unadmiring gaze i would not ask my friend delorme commenced the young baronet i would not ask him to present me to your ladyship for when i mention my name i flatter myself you will not consider me in the light of a stranger henry cathcart the eyes of the gorgeous widow were turned for an instant upon the fine intellectual countenance of the speaker as if reflecting where they had before met suddenly she appeared to recollect the features and exclaimed ah oh, sir henry i'm delighted to see you why what a height you've grown to it is nearly six years i've seen you that really i had nigh forgotten you dear me what an alteration a few years does make at your age there was a decidedly emphasis on your and smiling complacently as she bethought herself on the comeliness of her own person awaited his reply pray lady featherfield said sir henry abruptly impatient of farther delay did i hear aright that that beautiful young creature yonder is your niece yes that is my sister's child she is rather pretty certainly not my style of beauty though but she still is attractive among some men as she spoke she beckoned the object of sir henry's inquiries toward her and taking her hand said this is sir henry cathcart my dear who has been pleased to pass some very flattering encomiums upon you and of whose approbation you ought to be proud for i hear that he is a connoisseur do you admire tall or little women most sir henry added or interrogated the baroness parenthetically to cathcart i admire both was the gallant and ready answer for her ladyship was full five feet nine and matilda scarcely above the ordinary size of her sex a size which en passant in the present day appears degenerating into lilliputianism but which most retorted her ladyship for all men have their tastes upon my honour lady featherfield wherever beauty is i gaze and admire without thinking on its peculiar merits or order if i may use an architectural term replied cathcart who could say that st paul's is not equal to westminster abbey indeed i acknowledge it to be the grandest but i prefer the latter individually thus dexterously obviating the necessity of offending the aunt and delicately insinuating his intense admiration of the niece as a more than adequate counterpoise sir henry applied himself to the pleasing task of eliciting the mental powers of matilda seville by a not affected display of his own accomplishments and sentiments he found her intelligent amiable and confiding but slightly imbued with a taste for the romantic and sentimental sir henry cathcart was decidedly a young man of superior mind if not of very surpassing abilities and moreover united to a person of eminent elegance a peculiar faculty of pleasing the growth of love is not to be estimated 
by any standard with which we are acquainted and we would fain add that our hero was deserving of the confidence and admiration which he seldom failed to excite that morally as well as mentally he was a person to be respected but alas the elements of virtue are not to be attained or if to be attained at least it is an exception of a general rule among those with whom he was in the habit of mingling men not undistinguished in the ranks of fashion and even intellect but for the most part votaries of dissipation vice and irreligion cathcart continued to speak and matilda hung enraptured upon the words that fell from his lips full as they were of fancy of refinement and of elegant if not poetical sentiment and in the course of a single hour experienced in her romantic views more pleasure than ever she had before sir henry had travelled much although so young he had beheld the gorgeous remains of rome's once imperial grandeur had climbed the snow-capped alps and rioted in the fair valley below ocean and river hill cataract and lake were all subjects on which he could expatiate with all the charms of a lively feeling and its effect was not lost upon a mind like matilda's we do not say she immediately became enamoured of the handsome and clever young baronet but he knew enough of her sense to feel that his company was not indifferent to her and as he rose to leave he pressed her to remember their first meeting and to grant him on a future occasion the honour of a second well inquired delorme what do you think of her as matilda with her aunt left the room she is a beautiful girl replied his companion quite a heroine in her language rather too romantic but that will wear off the frenchman smiled and to his companion's inquiry answered with something of a sneer in his tone ah, i was thinking how strange these things come about nobody would have thought when we entered this house there was the remotest chance of your getting a wife so soon though young matilde cathcart would sound pretty enough and how much nearer the relationship would be between you and the noble-looking baroness you are jesting vivian said sir henry i fear that cannot be for i have lost heavily as you know of late and much as i respect nay love matilda seville i could not afford to take her portionless besides i don't think i shall ever marry at all the devil what is your reason for setting up all the benedict wives are generally bores was the laconic reply at least so they say at the club the finish of the sentence bespoke how much he was guided by the mistaken laws of fashion three months after the above conversation the london season being over lady featherfield and her niece left town for a distant part of the country it was reported that ill health led her to choose such a retired spot though there were others in which her creditors claims bore a prominent position 
by a singular coincidence a few days afterward sir henry cathcart who had a hunting-seat in that very part of the country for the first time in his life took a fancy to visit it and with surprise learned who were his neighbours the baroness was delighted her old london acquaintance to be so near them it was extraordinary it was charming cathcart now had numerous opportunities of meeting with matilda alone the romantic feeling which he had noticed in london was here tenfold increased and often would he find her by the side of some pleasant stream attended by a favourite dog and lost in the pages of some fashionable author unconscious of his approach till he had reached her side it was upon such occasions as these that he wound himself around her young heart until at length she loitered but for his coming and the views that once pleased her were dull and spiritless without him lady featherfield heard of these repeated meetings and only prolonged the moment of her interference that she might as she afterwards stated the more surely secure her niece as his bride nor was she awakened to a sense of her improper supineness till she learned her niece had eloped with the young baronet the particulars of their criminality the arguments by which sir henry prevailed upon matilda to forego virtue's name we must pass over suffice it she had fallen and as her lover lifted her from the carriage door the morning after the elopement he exclaimed now am i blessed in the memory of our first meeting it was on a gorgeous summer's evening several years after the above events just as the day-god was sinking below the horizon and crimsoning with his latest lustre the western sky that a pale but still beautiful woman of about twenty-five years of age was reclining upon a sofa in a neat but elegantly furnished boudoir from the windows of which was a full prospect of hyde park as its occupant gazed upon the scene her large blue eye dilated for a moment and then a tear filled up its place accompanied with sobs rendered doubly painful from the agonizing but fruitless attempt to suppress them alas she murmured unconsciously in a little while i will have quitted this weary scene for ever in a little while matilda seville will exist but in name and that alas will be one that conscience conjures up as too odious to give utterance to there is nothing perhaps can present a more melancholy spectacle to the eye of fallen man than the picture of a young and beauteous creature ere the heyday of life is past lying stricken with a painful and lingering disease matilda savage for she it was who now occupied the little chamber was in the last linger fatal grasp of a consumption a hectic flush occasionally overspread her thin transparent skin and her eyes became preternaturally bright but it was the disease of the mind that thus oppressed her and its agonizing gloom that overshadowed her soul and nullified the usual and often efficacious attentions of the leech 
it was after a reverie of more than usually intense mental suffering that she gave utterance to the language above described and then she again relapsed into a train of thought so acute that though her features bore more the impress of somnolency than life the cold drops of perspiration that chased each other down her brow bespoke how deep a wound conscience's dart was making i will bear it no longer she exclaimed springing with the excitement of the maniac from her little couch this this shall decide it with the same wild unnatural effort she crossed the room and reached down a small mahogany case it was locked but in a moment the poker had shattered in the lid the exertion however was too much for her and ere she could make herself mistress of its contents she had swooned upon the ground scarcely had the poor misguided victim of seduction and disease fallen from the effects of her exertion ere the little door of the boudoir was thrown violently open and a young man his hair dishevelled his neckcloth loose and disordered and his whole countenance inflamed either from drink or the most violent excitement entered the apartment followed by one who from his dress was evidently a servant away sir to your duty exclaimed sir henry cathcart for he it was who had suddenly entered the chamber the villain dies where is the key of my pistol case where is the words froze upon his lips and the excitement of a madman and a would-be murderer were changed instantaneously to the wild vacant gaze of unutterable despair for a moment and a moment only every nerve seemed paralyzed then with one long loud shriek or cry he pointed to the fallen form of his mistress and exclaimed in a tone of excruciating bitterness scoundrel this is thy work did i not charge thee not to leave her even for an instant and now she is dead and her own hand has robbed me of the only charm that could now render life supportable honour fortune friends wife all all gone what has cathcart now to live for a few hours after the above in another chamber lay matilda seville her hand clasped in that of her lover i have lost all exclaimed sir henry the dice were loaded the villain delorme and another had been playing with me for six hours when i made the discovery maddened by my losses i hastened from the house and despite my dress and the surprise of the passers-by made for your boudoir where i knew my pistols were intending to seek summary justice upon the villain you know the rest my horror at finding you as i thought forever taken from me and my joy at having you again restored matilda arose and with difficulty placed her emaciated but still lovely hands upon the hot brow of her seducer harry she exclaimed promise me faithfully that you will never again touch those fatal dice say you will never game again what have i to game with now even had i the will he exclaimed lost ruined 
a beggar and by one to whom i have been more than brother the villain delorme i am a beggar yes matilda a wretched beggar not so answered matilda you gave me once in happier days ere i was the wretched being that i now am a note for one thousand pounds it was to buy jewels for my wedding day that day will never come i have never spent it it is here take it harry i shall die soon and i shall die happy in the consolation that it will assist you take it harry and god bless you with it as the deeply injured girl spoke she produced from her bosom a bank-note and presenting it to her lover continued there harry it is warm from a heart that has ever loved you but will soon cease to beat i have always worn it there knowing your gay life i thought the day might come when it would be of service then throwing her arms around his neck she wept no no gasped sir henry no matilda you must not die there are brighter days in store for us yet dearest we will be happy again though i have deceived you as he spoke the tear of true repentance stole down his cheek with a gush of old and warm affection and he added no matilda no i have nothing nothing now but you looking in his face with a gaze that told how true she spoke she replied do not attempt to deceive me it is useless i am certain that i shall not survive many days perhaps hours but i would ask one last request renounce your present life there are but two paths that led to happiness virtue and the grave if our feet have strayed from one perchance our souls may gain the other matilda sank down exhausted what a villain i have been exclaimed sir henry as he gazed upon the form of his dying mistress and recalled her image as he had first beheld it in placid innocence his feelings were those of mingled agony and remorse he had loved matilda as well as he could love anything on earth and her solemn empathetic appeal had awakened thoughts his heart had always before been a stranger to he felt that he had seduced and afterward neglected her but her gentle tenderness and amiability of character her patient and unrepining endurance and her last proof of unceasing love in providing against distress for one who had so basely deceived her and afterward by his excesses brought poverty to her dying bed was something more than human it was a warmth that even friendship strongest of man's ties was too cold to reach it was worthy of its name it was woman's love you shall not die matilda exclaimed sir henry much injured woman the church shall first unite us live to call me husband as in thy heart i feel i have ever been with a power almost supernatural matilda raised herself from the bed and grasping his hand exclaimed with a faint smile 
my husband there was a pause of a moment it was a fearful struggle the tongue refused its office the eyeball sank and she breathed rather than spoke repent the next moment sir henry cathcart's arms supported dust it was my wife's first her last request he exclaimed reader he faithfully obeyed it end of section three